Hello, everyone. Welcome. My name is Donna D, and I am the Urban Mommy, and I am here with another guest, and we have another podcast. Today, we are going to talk about a lot. So we are going to talk about holistic living, conscious parenting, the whole soul mama vibe, all right? So with me today, I have Miss Elena, and she is joining us way from Australia, from Sydney. Mm. Hello. She's only seen one kangaroo. <laughs> I've seen a few kangaroos, but only one jumping down the street. That's very oh, okay. rare. <laughs> okay. All right. So do you want to tell everyone, can you explain, introduce yourself? Who is Elena? Yeah, I sure can. So I guess I'll just start with Elena is a mother of, of three humans. And one of them is six, one of them is 10, one of them is 20, believe it or not, and uh, about to go on his first trip snowboarding in New Zealand on his own with his mates. So I said goodbye to him this morning. I shed a little tear as I farewelled him. I dropped him at work. He's uh, he's an early child educator, so he works in a preschool. He's an awesome human. So that's really the main, the main focus of my life is my family. And um, it wasn't always so simple. I had my son for seven years on my own. And when I was on my own and I was developing myself as a human I was very lost and had a lot of adversity and struggles and um, I came out of that with a really big mission to really just to to empower women as they emerge through motherhood I feel like motherhood is such a personal development opportunity and a lot of women miss it in the business of the day-to-day and then they're not sure who they are anymore they feel a little lost maybe or it's like, I know who I am, but I'm different. I don't know who I am now, you know, and we can get a bit disconnected, disempowered, depleted in our reserves. And then uh, we have this big picture for our lives and, we, and we're not quite sure how to get from here to there. So I kind of offer a pathway for women to get from here to there. So, Okay. So when you were raising your son alone for those yeah. seven years, how did you feel? How did that make you feel inside? Did you ever oh, think that you would be a single mother? You know, my mother was as well for, for a while. So it wasn't completely alien concept to me, but it, it wasn't something I was um, planning to do. That's for sure. It wasn't something I was hoping for, you know. Um, it was different to what I had expected or hoped for in my life. And it started pretty early. So I split up with his dad when I think he was about four months old. So pretty early you know I was on my own early and it's it's not the easiest it feels for me it felt very challenging very isolating uh, really I guess I just felt kind of confused you know like I'm not quite sure who I am I'm not I'm not the wife and I'm not the mother with the family and I'm I'm not the single woman without the family I'm kind of somewhere in between all of those and I think sometimes it's hard to feel your place in society as well, you know. And um, It definitely is. Women yeah. like to, I know definitely in America, women like to equate their self-worth with different titles. So yep. sometimes when things don't go as planned, we, be, we become pregnant, we're having a baby, and then we're a single mother. And it's like all of a sudden our quality points go down. Like, yep. And that's how it feels to us as yep. a as that parent and yeah. realize the pressure that they put on young girls you know when we're going through that like you said we don't choose that and not many of us you know it just kind of happens so yes it's a little bit more difficult when you say things like you know 
cute that their value is going down. So what yes. do you what would you tell if a young girl came to you right now yes. and said, I'm pregnant, I don't really know what I'm gonna do, the father does not want to be involved, what would you tell her? The first thing I would tell her is uh, that I'm that I'm listening, I guess. I think we really need to listen to the experience of people and and understand that it may not, as you say, excuse me, <clears throat> it may not fit into the boxes that we expect it to. I think a lot of what we need to do more of is accept. We need to accept that things are not always predictable and things are not always categorizable. And we need to allow people their experience. And I think for for a girl in that position, for example, there would be a lot of fear and a lot of conditioning that suddenly appears that maybe they weren't even aware was there. You know, all this conditioning about what it means to be a good girl, what it means to be a good woman or a good mother or a good whatever. We have all this conditioning and it often doesn't come up until it's challenged. So I guess the thing I would most want to do is create safe spaces for her in which to explore how she can discover herself through that experience and respond in the way that she feels is right for her. So I want her to feel agency and I want her to feel empowered to make her own decisions with support. With support, okay. So to go back on holistic living, if you can explain that, how would you explain what holistic living is? Well, so that's really interesting. It means a lot of different things to different people. And for me personally, I really think that we've become quite disconnected with our role as carers of the environment, as nature custodians in a way. And it sounds a bit woo-woo. It's actually not at all. We we are, you know, animals living in an urban situation, in a situation where we've lost touch with, you know, we live in a garden, not the jungle, right? So so we've forgotten about the wildness of the world and, and we've sort of forgotten about our impact on that. And yet we rely on it. We rely on nature to breathe, to eat, to everything, we, we survive because nature survives. So I think often we can get very disconnected from that idea when we live in urban settings, when we live in our modern Western paradigm. So I think it's really important for us to think of things in a connected way, to remember our interconnectedness. If we can remember how interconnected we truly are with those systems, with nature's systems, which we are all the time, then uh, I think we get better at living a little more consciously and being a bit more aware of our impact. And that doesn't have to be a big thing. It can actually be, you know, you set up a compost bin. Like it can actually be you buy things that aren't wrapped in plastic for a while. You know, it can be really, really simple. It doesn't have to be a big lofty thing. You just start really small. You start from where you are. But just remembering that interconnectedness is the key piece. So that's the bit that I spend a bit of time educating people about. And often I have to remind people that, eco and ethical it doesn't always mean more expensive in fact sometimes it's less expensive it's more affordable so um, just educating you know educating people that there's a lot we can do even in our urban settings in our busy family lives one of the biggest contributors to methane gas in the world is fresh food thrown in the bin sent to landfill so that's why i mentioned compost you know if you can find a way to plant your 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 waste from vegetables and fruit instead of throw it in a in a garbage bag and put it onto landfill that would make a massive difference in the world you know so small things done 
often and frequently by many people is really powerful. So so I kind of just think about that. So holistic to me is thinking about the whole picture rather than just our little our little bit. Gotcha. Okay. So what about self-care? What is self-care to you and why is it important in our holistic lives, in our lives, period? Self-care is such a word. That it's a couple of words that we've used a lot lately, don't you reckon, Donna? It's so... Um, it's been really, really overused, I think, and, and obviously it's important. And obviously it's it's the key piece that so many women are missing. But there was a great quote. It was actually from a Muslim woman following the Christchurch. There were some shootings in New Zealand of a Muslim, um, a mosque, and a bunch of people died. It was really tragic. And a lot of people were saying, these people needed to take care of themselves following this event and she made this comment on her socials it was a beautiful comment I can't remember the exact words right now it's actually on my Instagram but it was about shouting self-care at people who are experiencing something difficult is a really unfair thing to do like obviously we want to take care of ourselves obviously self-care is important but we can't always do it so that almost makes another pressure you know, on someone who is already under pressure. Like, I don't have any time. I don't have any energy. How can it just adding something to my to-do list? That doesn't help me, you know. So I often use different words like self-nurture or nourishing yourself. You know, I just try to use different words because I feel like it's actually about the way that we do things. It's not always about doing something extra or doing something more. It's about shifting a little bit the way that we do things or the approach that we take or finding accessible ways to center our own needs to come back to ourselves and that might just be taking a few breaths and why is it important because it allows us to be the adults and the regulated humans that we need to be to face all the challenges of family and modern daily life and all the pressures on women so many pressures on women we carry the mental load mostly the majority of the mental load we like me this morning you know we're in full service so many hours of the day we're always giving 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 and this is generalizing obviously but there's a lot of that and it's a lot of it's conditioned so where do we find the ways that we can center our own needs through that through that and this morning for me that was I had to say to my son you know I've just spent an hour helping you now I need you to do something for you my six-year-old boy I said I need you to put your shoes on so that mommy can go brush her teeth, you know, like, so it's that kind of thing of remembering to put ourselves into the mix. Okay. So for people who may not have the time to do the self-care that you suggest they self-nurture, what are some examples of self-nurturing? Yeah, I guess the biggest example, and I'll speak personally, but also I offer this to a lot of the women that I work with is to just consider how we can slow down a little bit and really sort out what's important, really make choices consciously and deliberately. And that's why I talk about soulful parenting or conscious parenting. What I mean is you choose, you know, you choose your own adventure. You're the one, you're the adult, you're the one who has to take responsibility for your experience. And that's not always easy to do, but 
you can do it. You can learn new skills. You can learn breath work. You can do a one minute meditation. You can eat whole foods instead of processed foods. You can take a supplement or a probiotic. You can look after the temple. You know, you can make some time, carve out some time, get help, ask for help if you have it. You don't always. I didn't always. Ask a friend, you know, can my, can my kid have a sleepover? I need some time to myself. Like advocate for yourself. And it's a skill like anything else that we have to learn. It's definitely a skill. I remember a couple of months back, I was extremely stressed out from like everything that was going on, with family, with my kids, with my work. And I said I needed an apartment. I said I need to get away. I need some me time. And yeah. in fact, that's what you see here. You see an apartment. I actually left my house because I felt like my house was just filled with everything that I could not conquer yeah. at the moment. And it just was reminding me of everything that I did not do. So I wanted to get this space and I am still eight months in. I'm still explaining to people why I had to make this decision for myself. Yeah. Yeah. People find it hard to understand. It's confronting and it confronts them because they also probably are not doing what they need to do, right? So we have this myth that a that a busy, hustling, you know, hectic woman is a successful woman, right? That if you're juggling and you're busy and you never stop moving, that you'll be great. That's not true. It's a total fallacy. And it's as you've experienced as well. And I just want to say, Donna, that's amazing. I applaud you for doing that. It's incredible. And it might take some time, as you say, because we get really depleted. And if it's happened over a number of years, the unwinding of that and the turning back of that habit is also going to take a number of years. You know, for me, it was seven years to overcome really, really major adversity and depletion. And now I have it in a smaller scale, you know, so I book in and there's the things you do in the day, the things you do in the week, the things you do in the month, the things you do quarterly, like a retreat, a weekend away, you know, and you have these systems. And I think as you get better at it, you start to build them into the fabric of your life. Okay. What about boundary setting? Oh, that's a good topic. Favorite topic. So boundary setting, I think we often think of it as I've got to be really tough and I've got to be real. I've got to say no and I've got to, you know, and there's a great term in a, in a paradigm called aware parenting where they talk about particularly this woman in Australia who's an aware parenting expert called Marion. She, she talks about, Marion Rose talks about setting loving limits. And I love that term because I think often when we haven't set any limits for a really long time, when we do, we do it when we're angry. We do it when we're raging, when we're desperate. No, I can't do that for you. No, I can't do the dishes today. Somebody else has to do them, you know, and it comes out naturally. It comes out in that way. But I think when we start to do that more often, when we start to set healthy boundaries more often, and it might be with friends and family having expectations of us, it might be your immediate family, it might be your extended family, it might be your work, your culture, your society. There's a lot of demands, right? And we have to be very, very clear about what we can and cannot give. We have to be very honest with ourselves and accept the reality that we're in and become very clear and deliberate and again conscious of what we are willing to give and what we are not willing to give. And then we go about creating those boundaries, those loving limits where we say, I love you to your six-year-old, you could say, 
I love you very much and I would very much like to have a play with you. However, the first thing I need to do is brush my hair before we leave the house and then I'll be a happier mummy and then we can go play, you know. So it can be really simple and loving. Okay. So just looking back on your career with the holistic living, what was the biggest lesson that you have learned? Mm, That's such a big question. The biggest lesson, I suppose, is a more personal lesson around authenticity and being very true to yourself. I think, and I still catch myself doing this all the time. This is not like you make this decision and then it's done and one and done. You know, this is an ongoing practice of honoring yourself and your authenticity. And I think you've got to really, really do the work to accept yourself for who you are and then constantly show up as that person because there's so many signals in our world, you know, follow this person, do the do things the way this person does them and be this lady, she's amazing. And, you know, and so you go, oh, wow, you get this shiny object syndrome. Oh, my gosh, that looks so cool. I want to be just like her. How incredible. And then, oh, my gosh, look at what she's achieved. I want to achieve that too. So I'm going to do it the way she's done it, you know. And then all of a sudden you're kind of in this weird no man's land. And and I think the biggest lesson for me possibly just in the last couple of years is you do you. Like you do you. Do your authentic 100% self and then everything else is better. You know, everything else works better. Still learn from other people but, but be you. Okay. So when you are speaking with women, how do you – teach them or how do you coach them to regain their power how how can you do something like that oh I love that question so I guess it's a little bit different for every person right because we're not all the same person so there's got to be a bespoke element there's got to be a, a bespoke guidance element and there always is when I work with women so I work with women a couple of ways I work one-on-one and I also have a program like a membership and it's very small and intimate so I have this great pleasure of being able to because quite new I have this great pleasure of being able to actually work really really closely with the women and I know them really well and they're like my buddies and we show you know we connect every month and we learn something new every month and there's now this beautiful library of skills and I have a program essentially I call it the lion life roadmap and I I show them a step-by-step five-stage process with lots of little modules in between. Some of them are longer than others. And and I really give them a lot of different tools in the toolbox. And I say, okay, so start off with awareness, becoming aware of what really is holding you back. It might be physical. It might be rest. It might be you need to do a bit more exercise here and there. It might be that you're never making time for yourself. And we work out what that is. And we become aware of what it is we need to do in the first instance to just come back to the baseline, right? Create a base. And then we go through five stages. We connect, we look at our home, we start living according with our values in our home, and then we go through to purpose, really, really coming up with purpose. What is our purpose and how can we live that more day to day? How do you teach this to your children? I think, yeah. We want them to start younger than we did. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of it actually is just by doing it. So like when we live a certain way, they they learn so much just by seeing what we do, you know, especially up to the age of seven. So there's developmental stages and every age is different. 
but I would say up to the age of seven, it's very, very much about what are you modeling? How are you living? And it doesn't mean you have to be perfect all the time. Please don't misunderstand me. Not at all. Because we also have to model repair and recovery, you know, so when we get things out of alignment, when we fall over, we need to show them how we pick ourselves back up again. When we breach a boundary with them or we get angry, we need to show them how to repair and recover from that and how to make amends and say sorry. And, you know, that's just as important. So it's not about being perfect all the time. That's really important. How do you address forgiveness? I guess um, I, I do it. You know, I I show them and I say, just, just say the siblings had a fight, you know, and one of them hit the other one. This is pretty rare in our house, but but it happens and so just say that happened I would talk to them and and I would probably focus on the child that that received the hit more than the child that did the hitting in the moment and I would help them and I would say you know your sibling is learning they made a mistake and I'm going to talk to them about that I'm going to help them show them other ways they can handle their anger rather than lashing out do you think you could accept if they said sorry do you think you could accept that you know that kind of thing. If they're if they're vocal or verbal, if it's younger than that, it's a little different. It's more physical. It's more energy related. It's more about loving spaces and safe spaces. And uh, if they're older, you can go into more depth and more mediation type processes. You know. Okay. So when dealing with with children and trying to teach them the the correct way that we should you know, be living and you think back to yourself, were you always like this? How long, you know, when did you start this holistic life? Yeah, I guess um, I've always been interested in, in these things, but as I've grown older, it's become more of a mission, you know, it's become more of a driving force. And particularly in motherhood, I think, because I was thinking about the world and I was thinking about what kind of world my children are going to grow up in that sort of really motivated me. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly always had a bit of a leaning, a leaning towards the hippie side of stuff, but, um, but I'm also a really practical person, you know, I'm a black belt martial artist. Like I, I'm, I'm also a very practical, um, person in my life, you know? So you were always like helpful, always wanted to help others. I think so. I think I've always been like that. I've always been a bit driven to serve and, and, um, very sensitive to the needs of other people and the needs of the world you know even as a child so I'm I'm, I don't know if you've heard the term highly sensitive person I'm an I'm definitely an HSP so I notice things differently but there's a highly sensitive people it's a term now HSPs there's a certain percentage of the population that are more sensitive I'm definitely one of those but most HSPs are introverts and then a very very small percentage again of HSPs our extroverted HSPs, that's me. That's why I'm able to talk talk and be friends with you straight away. And you know what I mean? Like that's that's uh it's like two percent of the population or something is an extrovert, highly sensitive person. So So highly sensitive, like emotional. It kind of means that you just feel things deeply. So someone else might see a kitten and go, There's a kitten. And I might see a kitten and go, oh, look at the little kitten, you know, like, and it affects me. I feel something. So it's just, it's really about your experience and emotion. I have a friend, I guess I would do the animal like, oh, but I have a friend that 
she, I, I think she would probably be highly sensitive because she cries mm-hmm. a lot. Like yeah. we could watch a movie and she would just start bawling out crying. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I, I only, you know, I don't, I don't cry a lot, but she would cry for any old thing. Oh yeah, tell her about it. She might enjoy it. Highly sensitive person, HSP. It's really helpful actually because there's a lot of people in the world who feel things really deeply and they think it's something wrong with them. You know, and it's taken me a long time to work out that this is a superpower. This is this is actually something that really, really helps me to understand people. And I'm glad you actually brought that up. Have you ever heard of the movie called A League of Their Own? Yeah, I haven't watched movie. it for a long time, but yeah. It's an old movie and it's not really sad, but there's like a funny scene on the movie and the girl starts crying and the coach tells her there's no crying in baseball. So, you know, it's, it was like a funny scene, right? Yeah. Most people would laugh at that scene. My daughter cried her oh, eyes out. Bless. She thought that was so sad, but everybody else was laughing. We thought it was funny, but I believe that yeah. my daughter is highly sensitive. So I'm very interested in learning about yeah. this because as I have to raise her, I have to keep that in mind. Yes, you do. Highly sensitive. You do. And there's there's some great stuff I can tell you about that. One is that I recently actually had on my on my own podcast, which is called Unboxable, a woman called Dawn Agnos. She's also in America and she's an empath. Empath is like highly sensitive person to the max and they're almost psychic. You know, she talks about what it's like to be an empath. That's really, really interesting. But the other thing that comes to mind is there's a beautiful uh, practitioner who's a world expert on trauma. His name is Gabor Mate. Gabor Mate is a Canadian, originally Hungarian man. He's a doctor and he's spent his life now um, in that world of, of treating people with intense difficulty, either palliative or drug addiction. He's now become one of the world's greatest experts on trauma. And he talks about trauma is not the thing that happens to a person. Trauma is the thing after the thing that happens. It's the response the person has to an event. It's the wound that they carry as a result of the event. Now, some people may experience trauma from big things. Other people may experience trauma from death by a thousand paper cuts. You know, so if you have a sore shoulder, this is a great analogy that he he explains, and somebody touches your very sore shoulder, you'll be like, oh, that really, really hurt. You know, but someone else who doesn't have a sore shoulder will just be like, whatever, doesn't feel a thing. So if you are carrying a wound, an emotional wound already, and that can happen in lots of different ways. It can happen just from a difficult birth. It could happen from a particular style of parenting that you've experienced that didn't match with who you are, that didn't work for you. It could just happen because you're a sensitive person in an insensitive world, you know, that can be experienced as trauma. So, and that word is overused and, you know, we maybe need to think of other words for it, right? But sometimes we carry these wounds. We don't even know we're carrying them. And a lot of time children actually carry those wounds and we don't realize because it's just from them growing up in a world that expects them to be something they can't be all the time, you know. And like this morning I accidentally scratched my six-year-old's leg when I was putting his shoes on and I've got my, you know, not very long but strong nails. I scratched him and he cried like he cried so hard and it was really hard not to go I just I just scratched you you know but I was like oh darling that that really hurt you didn't it you know 
no <laughs> that's so cute mm. but yeah so i've taken those you said that the person came on your podcast last oh yeah her name's dawn agnos yeah i can give you the link to put in your show notes i'll yeah. definitely watch it yeah so we get uh and i'll link it as well so that people can pay attention yeah there's so, a few mm. i think a part of conscious parenting is that we have to learn our kids back in the day it was you know parenting just went across whatever that was just what they did yeah. and it did not change for each child but yeah. now I think we have to know our children's their strengths their weaknesses so that we can parent them better yeah we know better now I think you're right and and I think really a lot of it is about actually seeing the results of our industrialized society and this one size fits all parenting method and that's that's us in a way that's our generation i'm not sure how old you are but that's yours and maybe mine uh generation that are living that now and we're seeing the results of that and we're we're knowing now and understanding because we have research and we have access to so much information that there are other ways yes i'm definitely at the i'm still in a i'm 30 38 so i'm still on the line of the two generations so I, I know yes. both sides so I know but I'm also young enough to know that we are trying to do things differently it's a yes. struggle it is definitely a struggle yeah. because you have to compromise so much so like to me my rules are my rules and I feel like that's it yeah. but the new yeah. conscious person is trying yeah. to uh, I don't know maybe negotiate the rules Ah, interesting. So I actually think it's great to have the rules of the rules. And then it's also great to accept the response to that from your children. So, so yeah, you say, look, this is the one way to say that is I'm not willing to have you leave the kitchen messy after you eat. I'm not willing for that to happen. So I'd like you to clean up the kitchen after you eat, you know, and you, you ask. It's ask, don't tell, but very clear that that's an expectation and supported you know you support your children to meet your expectations and I think also there is an element of being very loving in the way that you set those rules and being very accepting of their response and I think when we do that in that way and and we are able to do a little more asking and a little less telling and we're a little more accepting and a little less rejecting of the responses that our children have, then we create a safer space in our home and we remain connected to our kids. Really, it's about interconnection, which is how we started this conversation, remaining interconnected with those we love. It doesn't mean you roll over. I think that's a great fallacy. Everybody needs to know your limits. And it's about us communicating those in respectful ways, in loving, respectful ways. I'm glad you, you cleared it up because a lot of people, well, I don't say a lot of people, I know I thought, and yeah. I'm sure others did. They yeah. thought that conscious parenting is basically what we just kind of letting our kids rule. No way. No way. No way. And and I think that's you're right. It seemed like to me, I was like, it seems like they just let their kids do anything, but that's not yeah. it. No, no, no. And I actually think that that's in a, in a sense, that's often a response to people who had super strict families and so they're actually processing their own childhood traumas by parenting in the opposite way that's not a deliberate or a conscious thing that's a reaction to trauma usually most often okay so i'm glad we got back to trauma which is all over the place but i appreciate it you for getting me back on track so when we're dealing with trauma mm. 
what are some of the best ways to to deal with it? Because it, yeah. it, it's difficult. And of course, we know everyone is different. But what are some of the best yeah. ways that you've noticed? Okay, so I'm going to generalize wildly and I'm going to use my own personal experience as a reference. Okay, so I, I had a really violent attack at my home and I had PTSD for a year. So this is the most extreme version of trauma that I've experienced. That PTSD wasn't labeled or named for 12 months. And, and my life was threatened with a knife in my home. It was very, very scary. And for 12 months, I wandered in the wilderness, hallucinating, self-medicating with alcohol, alienating the people around me. No one knew what to do. No one in my family or my friendship group knew what to do with me. I became anorexic. I was just a mess, right? And for 12 months, I didn't have a name for what was going on. When I did get the name, and I know now the research tells us that if something traumatic happens for a person, and I'm talking about big T traumas here, big T traumas, then a big thing happens. The, the sooner that you can get treatment, the, the more easily you will heal. It's a little bit like a wound. You know, if you experience a physical wound, the sooner you get medical treatment, the better it will heal. It's the same with emotional or physical trauma. So that's the big T trauma answer. And what I ended up doing was I went through a massive process of searching for the right modality, searching for the things that worked, accepting help, becoming very humble. For me, it was somatic healing. So work with the body because a lot of the cortisol that comes from a traumatic experience lives in the body. The hormone that's released that makes you, the adrenaline and the cortisol that makes you fight or flight, that is actually something that that gets captured in your cells and then you kind of remain in fight or flight. So it's very, very exhausting and it's very um, difficult to escape when you're in that state. And so I found that I needed to do somatic therapies, which means anything to do with releasing stress from the body. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Yoga is the most obvious. Trauma-informed yoga. So I've done a fair bit of that. Um, martial arts can be really good if you're in a safe space with your martial arts gym. Just working out can be really good, but also finding therapists that work in that mode. So there's a lot of somatic therapists in the world, lots of different modalities, but <clears throat> excuse me, that's what I would be looking for. And talk therapy can help as well, but it's a very, you'd want to find a very trauma-informed talk therapy, um, not just any old therapist. That's the big T trauma. The small T trauma is a little bit different. Are you hearing that? There's some there's some distortion. Maybe it's okay now. So I think with the small T trauma, it's a slightly different story. It's actually about working with people like me and like aware parenting practitioners, coaches and mentors. And if you've got something that just keeps showing up for you in your family, some sort of struggle, some sort of challenge, you keep flipping your lid and losing it with your kids. You don't want to. You can see it's affecting them. You can't seem to create a safe space in your home. You can't seem to get back on track with your own self-satisfaction, your own fulfillment. That's when you go and get some help. That's when you go and get some help from someone that knows a bit more about it. Do a course. Join my membership. Find a coach or a mentor that resonates with you. If this is feeling like you're feeling this in your body, that means you need to take some action. We have to start noticing what we need. Gotcha. Okay. So my, my favorite question, 
If you could go back in time and talk to 17-year-old Elena and oh. tell her about life, what would you tell her? Gosh, it's so simple. It's just the world needs you to be you. The world needs you to be who you are. Don't be afraid. Don't go into judgment. Don't go into self-criticism. But really step into your power. Find your roar and, and everything will be okay. You know, like everything can be answered with what you already have within you. That's probably what I would have said to her because she did not believe that. Good. Well, guess what? There are many Elenas that still need to hear that message. So I'm going to make sure I always put this part as a clip because advice is always good, especially looking back. It's much easier to give advice when you're looking back. But I do want to tell you so much. Thank you. You have been a breath of fresh air. I love your story. Um, Thanks. I'm taking, I was taking notes of everything you were saying because I do want to, you know, learn more. I'm going to go listen to your podcast as well. Can you yeah, tell please do. the followers and the listeners how they can keep up with you, how they can support you? Yeah, look, it was so beautiful to meet you, Donna. I love it. It's so, It's been such a great conversation. Thank you. And the best way is probably just Instagram and Facebook at Soul Mama Hub, which is S-O-U-L-M-A-M-A-H-U-B. And then I have a website, which is myname.com, elenaturley.com, A-L-E-N-A-T-U-R-L-E-Y.com. And there you can find all the things that I offer and my membership. You can join a wait list and all that sort of thing. Get my emails. I send out three resources each week for people to support them. Okay. That's awesome. I definitely hope you all support um, because we all need help. We are all trying to get better. We're all trying to become better. And the holistic approach is going to ensure that you get everything, not just the surface. Mm. You want to get everything, even around you. Talk about composting and recycling. So everything is going to come full circle. So again, thank you for being here, Elena. Thank you all for listening. Remember to like, comment, share, tell somebody about the podcast. And if the Lord says the same, I will see y'all next week. Thanks, Donna. Bye.